Well, good morning, church. You gotta see this. Usually when I hear that, it's my son inviting me to watch some incredible sports play on YouTube or to watch some funny video he has found on YouTube. And he's not usually wrong. It's usually pretty good. But you got to see this is the invitation that we often offer to somebody else for them to see what we've seen, to feel what we feel, to be moved the way we have been moved. It's what we invite somebody into when we've seen something out of the ordinary. When we're driving down the road and I see an incredible sunset or something beautiful in the landscape, I'll often tell my wife, hey, you got to see this. Look over there. It's what we hear from people when they want us to see something that they have encountered. In 2000, um, 2001, when my students came into my classroom early that morning, I was a social studies teacher, and I said, hey, Mr. Fitz, you need to turn on the TV. you got to see this on that September morning. Sometimes it's a shocking news story, something that's chaotic or dramatic unfolding in the world. Sometimes it's something inspiring or beautiful or incredible. You got to see this. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. Well, today we jump into chapter 25, and that's week 25 in our year-long pursuit of Jesus through Quest 52. And we're doing it in the effort not just to learn more about who Jesus is, but to actually get to know him better. If you don't yet have a copy of Quest 52, I encourage you to pick up a discounted copy for yourself and pick up one or two for some friends and begin going through it with them. You don't have to start in chapter one. You can start in chapter 25, right where we are. But today we're going to jump right into it. And you know, the the beautiful thing when we say you got to see this is remembering that God has given us the ability to see. So often we take that for granted. We take for granted that God has given us two 576 megapixel lenses, cameras, and he's put them right on the front of our head. And he's connected them to a 3000 megahertz processing computer that can process just about anything at lightning speed without even thinking about it. It's often processing so much in the background. We don't have to think about how we breathe, making the blood flow through our bodies, getting the neurons, all that. I mean, it just happens in the background. And this machine in our skull is incredible. But sometimes, sometimes those lenses don't work quite the way God intended them to. And they need a little assistance, don't they? And the older I get, the more assistance my lenses need. And I'm to the point where I'm not sure that the readers from Walmart are going to quite do the trick much longer. You know, John, the friend and follower of Jesus, when he was an old man, he recorded some of his experiences with Jesus. And his gospel is, in a sense, his moment of telling us, hey, of all the things I've seen, well, you got to see this too. And so we're going to jump into John's gospel in chapter nine, when there's an encounter with somebody whose eyes weren't quite working the way they needed to. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because his own sins or his parents' sins? Now, there was an understanding at that time that there was a cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. 
If you were suffering, if you experienced pain, it's because of your sin. Even if you were born into suffering, you must have done something bad in the womb to have deserved that. Or your parents had done something and passed it along to you. And the challenge with that was that this idea led to a lack of compassion for many people. It was the idea that, well, if you're suffering, if you've got pain, then you must deserve that. That's your fault. You got what's coming to you because of your sin. Now, we know that sometimes our behavior does <clears throat> does bring pain, does bring suffering. Sometimes there's an obvious this, then that. Sometimes it's uh, suffering we experience because somebody else has done something that has affected us, and we see that clearly. But many times... The correlation and the causation is not so clear. So we must be careful not to connect God, not to connect dots that God did not intend to be connected. So listen to how Jesus addresses that question. He says it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. You said, was it this or that? He says it's neither. Jesus answered them. They could only see two options, the parents or the boy. One of them had to do something wrong. They were stuck in a false dichotomy. And here Jesus just blows that up and offers them a whole new perspective, a whole new category of possibility. And he says, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Whoa. It's not because he sinned, his parents sinned, it's so that God's power could be on display. Now, Jesus is not here saying that God caused the suffering, that God was the instigator of this. No, scripture makes it clear, God makes it clear, our experience makes it clear that God does not cause us to suffer, that God is not the instigator of that. Satan, the devil, the enemy, the evil one, he is the instigator of sin, he is the cause of suffering and pain in this world. But God can use that. He can use all things, including the, the pain, including the suffering. He can turn that for good. So even pain and suffering can have purpose. So maybe they always have purpose. We know that Jesus' pain and Jesus' suffering had a divine purpose for his glory and our good. So maybe it is that God can use your pain and your suffering for his glory. Now that might sound a little insensitive to some of you. Gee, thanks God, you get the glory, I get the suffering. Woohoo, right? Not exactly a good deal. And that would be a bum deal if, if this is the only thing there is. But if this is not the whole picture, if there's more to the story, if there is a happy ever after without pain and without suffering, if our current problems can develop in us an increased anticipation for what's next, If this life is just the warm-up, just the prelude to the actual splendor of glory in heaven. If our problems are only temporary in light of eternity. If the pain and suffering can be redeemed. If the pain and suffering perhaps have a more profound place in the story than what we can currently understand. If any of those things are true, then maybe, just maybe, our pain and our suffering can at least be bearable. You know, sometimes God puts his glory on display and sometimes God puts his glory on display on the platform of our suffering. And whenever we encounter someone who is suffering but has an increased commitment to faith, an increased zeal for God, don't we find that inspiring? Mark owned a construction business and years ago he suffered a tragic 
uh, injury on the job. It left him paralyzed from the waist down and gave him many other complications that would make the remainder of his life very difficult. And I always saw Mark as a guy who was just filled with joy. When you encountered Mark, you could not leave a conversation with him any other way than being encouraged and joy-filled. He was one of the most joy-filled men I ever knew. And so years ago, I was sitting with him in a coffee shop in a cafe. We were drinking some coffee together. And I looked at him and said, Mark, listen, you are a joy bringer. You're not just a man who has joy. You are a joy bringer. You're like the joy evangelist. But how is that? How do you muster up so much courage to encourage so many others? How do you have so much joy when your life is so challenging? And Mark said, you know, Fitz, if this was all there is, if the remainder of my existence required me to be stuck in a chair with all these problems and all the pain, all the difficulties I face, not just daily, but moment by moment, then I would be the most bitter man, the most angry person you have ever met. But I know that's not what's true. I know that before long, I'll be walking again. I will be running. I'll be skipping on the streets of glory forever. So knowing that that's my forever, I can sit in a chair for just a moment. Now, I was always inspired by him, and that moment left me even more inspired than usual. Well, Jesus looked at his disciples, and he said, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. The light of the world. Not the only time Jesus would say that. But basically, he was telling them, look, you guys have been focused on the why. Why is this person suffering? Because of his sin? Because of his parents' sin? What's the why behind it? You've been trying to figure out the cause of the problem, trying to pinpoint the sin issue, but you've been missing the point altogether. He said, our job is not to assign blame for the problems. Our job is not to complain about the problems. Our job is to bring light into the darkness, to shine light in the darkest parts of this world. Our job is to eradicate the darkness. So, so you've been asking the wrong question. You've been asking, who's to blame for the sin issue? When really you should be asking, what can we do about it? What will we do about what we see in front of us? How can we help? Regardless of who's to blame, how can we help bring a better next chapter to that person's life? Well, then Jesus did something out of the ordinary. He spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Because that's not gross and that's just what you do, right? See a blind person, spit, make some mud, stick it in their face. Now this is the ultimate just rub some dirt on it moment for all the dads in the room, right? Like this is the moment. Do you you think that guy knew what Jesus was doing in the moment? It, It was believed at that time that saliva had healing powers, and every dad today still knows that it does. I mean, you just, yeah, you know, just spit on it and wipe it off, clean it off. You'll be fine. Get up and go, right? Like that's, we, we know that. But they believed there was something magic in the spit. So why did Jesus heal this man this way? Why did Jesus do it this way? Because Jesus could have just spoken a word and the blind man could have seen. Jesus could have just simply touched him, could have held his face, could have touched his eyes. Could have just reached out and grabbed the man's hand and the guy's eyes would have been open. Why did Jesus do it this way? 
Well, I think Jesus wanted to give the man an opportunity to demonstrate trust. Jesus was always concerned about obedience because obedience demonstrates trust. It demonstrates faith. If we say we believe in Jesus, but we don't do what Jesus says, then what do we really believe If we say we trust him and we follow him, but we don't trust his words enough that we actually put them into practice, then what do we trust? Who are we trusting? So Jesus gives him an opportunity to demonstrate his trust. He told the man, go wash your sins, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And Siloam means sent. So basically he sent him to sent. He said, go and wash. Now, when this occurred, they were likely by the temple. And this pool of Siloam was several hundred yards, think several football field lengths away from this pool of Siloam. And Siloam was downhill in the city. In fact, to get there from the temple, you would have to walk down what's known as the stepped street. And those steps were not even in length. They weren't even even in height. So it would be a difficult journey for a blind person, especially at that time, a difficult way to navigate. But Jesus tells him to go. And the blind man obeys. He walks by faith and not by sight. Literally. The blind man did what God asked him to do. Jesus said, go. He sent him and the man went. I think we are wise to respond the same way when God commands us to go. JC mentioned earlier, we have students going on trips all over the place. We have some serving in Poland right now. And when God says, go, the Great Commission, he sends us all over the world, go and make disciples of all people everywhere and teach them to obey, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are wise if we will respond with yes. With I believe, I trust, I'll obey. About a decade ago, Corey and Cassidy received that call in their lives. And they sensed God wanting them to go, sending them to the other side of the world, to go to an area in this world that is hostile to Christians. Now, I'd love to tell you more about where that place is, even give you their last name, but because it's a dangerous place and we're online, we want to protect them. So if you have more questions about Corey and Cassidy, you can ask me later. I'll be out in the lobby. I'd love to tell you about them and even get you in touch with them. But when Corey and Cassidy felt that call to go, Corey went over there several times to scout out the area and to figure out where they were going. And they did their research online and they looked online and they prayed about it and they, they really did their work. They connected with a sending agency, with a missions agency we're partnered with. And Cassidy purchased a passport, hopped on a plane, flew to the other side of the world and stepped off that plane for the first time as she moved to the place where they were called to go. She had never been on the ground in that country, on that side of the world, previous to that day. She literally walked by faith and not by sight. Having never been there before, she went. And with obedience said, the first time I step foot in this place will be the time that I've moved there, committing fully to it for the foreseeable and indefinite future. And they've been there for over a decade now. What a, what a challenging story for us to move beyond our comfort, to go when God says go, and to walk by faith and not by sight. You know, this blind man chose to trust someone he could not see. He could not see Jesus. 
He could only hear him. And he chose to trust based on what he heard. What he heard from Jesus, what he had heard from others about Jesus. Undoubtedly, he had heard the stories. There was all the Jesus hubbub going around in the city. So he trusted and obeyed and walked by faith and not by sight. And here's how he obeyed. The man went and he washed and he came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the guy who used to sit and beg? Isn't that the blind guy? Well, some said he was and others said, no, he just looks like him. The guy you're talking about is blind. That's not him. And the guy kept telling him, no, it's me. I'm that guy. I'm, I'm the one I was blind. Now I'm not. It's me. Well, they asked him, who healed you? What happened? And he told them. The man they called Jesus made mud. Do you think he knew? Do you think he understood it? Maybe it's better he didn't know how Jesus made that mud. And he spread it over my eyes and he told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and I washed and now I can see. Well, where is he now? They asked. I don't know. He replied, I didn't see which way he went. Sherlock, I was still blind when it happened. I had mud in my eyes. I couldn't see where he was. Just kidding, that last part really wasn't in there. But you get the sense of the guy saying that, right? Like, you know he was a bit sarcastic at that point. Where'd he go? I don't know where he went. Now, it was customary when somebody who had been healed at that time would then go to the religious leaders, the Pharisees. It was an effort to be reinstated to the full religious life of the community because somebody who had suffered, who was ill, who was sick, who had a disability, would not be able to fully participate in the religious life of the community. So they took him to the Pharisees. And this is what happened. They took the man who was blind to the Pharisees. And part of the reason they took him was because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. Sabbath, Jesus picking a fight again. Will he ever learn? So the Pharisees asked, uh, then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. There we go. So the Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it, I could see. Well, some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Now, God's word tells us to honor the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. And it says, keep the Sabbath holy. But the Sabbath is there for us. We don't exist for the Sabbath. The Sabbath exists for us. It's a gift to us. But to honor the Sabbath and protect the Sabbath, the religious leaders over the decades and centuries had built up all these other traditions, all these other rules to protect the Sabbath. So they would honor it. They they wanted to make sure that if the rule was here, if God said don't do this, well then they built up all these other rules to keep them several steps away from being able to break that. So they created all these other traditions, all these other religious rules around that. And not God's law, but the tradition of the people, the laws they had made, one of those was that you could not mix or knead, K-N-E-A-D, knead on the Sabbath. And like kneading bread, kneading dough. And Because Jesus had spit and made mud, he had mixed, he had kneaded, he had broken one of the rules. Another one of their rules, not God's rule, but their tradition rule was that you could not heal anyone on the Sabbath unless it was life-threatening. They would say of this guy, listen, he's been blind since the day he was born. What's one more day? Just let him stay blind. Just heal him tomorrow. 
And you could not heal somebody unless it was life-threatening. Now again, that's not God's rule. That was man's tradition. So because Jesus had broken at least these two Sabbath rules, they just could not accept him. But there were some who questioned that. Others said, how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs, such extraordinary miracles and signs and wonders? Jesus was always doing signs and miracles and wonders, pointing to the fact that he is, in fact, God. So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Doesn't that sound like our world today? A deep division of opinion. Everybody's got their opinion. Everybody has their own version of truth. But what really is true? So much division in our world? Well, the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind, and they demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man born blind replied, I think he must be a prophet. You hear the change? Initially, when he tells his friends what happens, is well, the man they call Jesus. Well, now that man, he says, is a prophet. There's been a change in how he Responds, But the Jewish leaders still refused to believe. Isn't it sad their minds are already made up? They don't have a box for this. They can't accept this because they already know the way everything should take place. So they refused to believe that this man had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents as though this is some great ruse, some big conspiracy, that this man had just faked his blindness for years so that they could elevate Jesus. So they called in his parents, and they asked the parents, is this your son? Oh, go back to that last one. Is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? And his parents responded, we know this is our son, and yes, he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see now or who healed him. So ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. Now, they, his parents replied with that, Ask him because he can speak for himself because they were afraid. They said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone who said Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. This is why they said, he is old enough, ask him. Now to be expelled from the synagogue is more than just kicked out of church for a day or two. It means you're kicked out of the religious community. And the religious community was the whole of your community. It was your friends, it was your social circle, it was the people you did business with, who you worked with, who you worked for, who you sold to, who you bought from, and you would be ostracized, kicked out of all of that. So not just your religious life, but the whole of all of your life would be changed, would be dramatically altered. You'd be booted out. Now, it might sound pretty lousy for parents to say, hey, we're afraid of being booted out of all that, so son, you're on your own. Just ask him. Like, that's kind of a lousy thing for a parent to be like, oh, we're going to protect ourselves and we're going to throw our son to the wolves. But I think they knew who their son was. I think they knew who they'd raised and they knew he had some fight in him. So for the second time, the religious leaders called in the man who had been blind and they told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I think we all need to be careful of what we think we know. About Jesus. They had already made up their mind. And there was no room in their theology for what was happening right in front of their eyes. For the very thing they were seeing. They'd made up their mind and they'd already dismissed Jesus. So this man who had been born blind replied, Listen, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. But I know this. 
I was blind, and now I can see. My world used to be dark as midnight, and now it's bright as the noonday sun. I was blind, but now I see. Friends, there will always be things we don't know, always things we don't fully understand. But we don't need to let the things that we don't know stand as obstacles to responding to the things we do know. See, you don't have to understand everything before you believe something. You don't have to know everything, be able to explain everything before you believe the most important thing. This man's story was short, but it was powerful. He said, I don't know. I don't know everything about Jesus. I I don't know all the origin stories. I, I don't know all the theology. I can't explain how the mud and the pool of Siloam and that water brought sight to me. I can't explain it. I can't define it. I don't know everything about it. Here's what I do know. I was blind. I met Jesus. I see now. That's what I know. And isn't that the story of every Christ follower? That there has been a change that we have encountered Jesus in one moment and it's changed everything. I once was an addict and now I'm clean. I once was lonely and now I have community. I once was anxious, but now I live with peace. I once was, but then Jesus and now. And we don't have to explain everything. We don't have to know all the deepest theology. But we all have an encounter with Jesus that has changed us forever. And isn't that the most powerful testimony of anyone? Well, these other guys, they just couldn't let it go. They refused to be satisfied. So they kept pressing the issue. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? He's got some fight in him. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples also? Do you hear the sarcasm? This is why his parents said, just ask the boy. He's good on his own. So the the Pharisees cursed him and they said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. And we know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man Jesus comes from. They finally admit there's something they don't know. And the guy picks up on it. Why, that's very strange, he replied. He healed my eyes and yet you don't know where he comes from? He went on. We all know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and who do his will. Since from the very beginning of time, ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not have done it. And listen to how they responded. You were born a total sinner. Are you trying to teach us? Are you talking to me, right? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Wow. Too often, isn't that the way it's gone down? I mean, they look at this guy. We know your story. We know your background. We can't trust you. We know what you've done. And you, you dare lecture us? You want to teach us? You want to claim that you have the the truth, that we are wrong? Like you're going to show us something we don't know? Listen, you were born blind, you deserve to be blind. You got what you deserve and you don't deserve to be here. Get out. And sadly, through too much of church history, 
That is how the church has responded. People who might challenge tradition, people who might bring new insight, are tossed out, tossed aside, discarded. Ex-synagogue is the actual word in the Greek. Excommunicated is how we would translate that. You've challenged it, and we know your backstory, and we can't trust you. Well, when Jesus heard what happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? When the man replied, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. Maybe that's your story. You don't quite believe, but you want to. You want to believe. You desire to believe. You even know who to believe in. But there's some things you don't yet know that you don't have all the answers and you're letting that stand in an obstacle to what you do know. That you need to believe. That you need to step forward in faith. Jesus tells him, you have seen him. And he is speaking to you now. Friend, let's be very clear. God is speaking to you even now from his word. And you have seen his truth. You've seen the goodness of God on display. You've seen God in this place. You've seen God's activity in your life. You have heard his word. You have heard his voice. And so this man responds, yes, Lord, I do believe. And he worshiped Jesus. It's a seeming small step forward, but it's a gigantic leap that bridges the chasm that divides you and God. That step of belief to say, I don't know it all, but I know Jesus. I know what Jesus has done for me. I know about the cross. I know the resurrection. I, and I, I can't explain it all, but I believe. And in that belief, in that one moment of belief, the distance between you and God is eradicated. And friend, if you haven't yet taken that step, don't delay. It's one step of faith to believe and to worship. And when you take that step, God will begin filling in the gaps and answering the questions. And you may never get all of them answered, but he won't let any of the most important ones go unanswered. Well, Jesus then told the man, I entered the world to render judgment to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Well, some of the Pharisees were standing nearby and they heard him and they asked, are you saying we're blind? Really? Come on, Jesus. You picking another fight with us? And Jesus told him, if you were blind physically, you would not be guilty. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Isn't it sad that the most religious people amongst them were the most spiritually blind? The ones who refused Jesus? They were blinded by their assumptions, by what they thought was true, by what they thought they knew. Now listen, friend, all of us come to the table with cognitive bias. We all have bias. We all have things, notions, presuppositions, the things that we already believe. And the problem is all those things we already believe keep us from being able to accept anything new that might challenge that belief, anything that challenges the belief, anything that might call it into question. We tend to dismiss because, oh, we know that's not true. 
And that's a really dangerous place to be, whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're a skeptic of Jesus. That's a dangerous thing. We need the humility to come and say, I can encounter new information. I can wrestle with what I know. And this should be true of all of us. See, we all have blind spots. Whether you walk with Jesus or you refuse to walk with Jesus, you've got blind spots. We all have them. And we need to let someone speak into those blind spots. We need to let someone break down the veils that cover our eyes. We need to allow someone to give us some readers so we can see a little bit more clearly. Friend, we must be careful not to assume that the Bible says something only because we've heard from someone else that it says that thing. We need to look into it for ourselves, to examine it ourselves. What does the Bible actually teach about women and the role in society, their role in the church? What does the Bible actually teach about divorce? What does the Bible actually teach about the beginning of time or the end of time or all those things we should do or maybe those things we should not do? What does the Bible actually teach about those things? What does God's word actually say to us? And does our resistance to look beyond our preconceived notions, whether we follow or we don't, does our resistance make us look more like those Pharisees who refused God? Refusing to see, refusing to look. Maybe you have a resistance to science or a resistance to faith. Maybe a resistance to people who don't think like you, who don't believe like you. Maybe a resistance to people who don't fit what you've been taught that God's people, what's acceptable to God. Maybe you have limited compassion and influence because of it. My friend Josh has worked for decades with blind people. He helps them navigate their way around the house and then make their way out of the home and navigate their way through the yard and into the world and through their town and in the community to the store to navigate public transportation. He helps them find their way. Isn't that what God has called all of us as his followers to do? To help spiritually blind people find their way to God? That's what we're invited to do. That's the mission of God. To help people find him. To help spiritually blind people navigate their way. Earlier this year, just a few months ago, we had a team of our team of people from our church go down to Honduras on mission. And of all the beautiful things they did on mission down in Honduras, one of the really neat things they did was host an eyeglass clinic. They, they helped out with an eyeglass clinic. And there were so many people whose lenses didn't work quite the way God had created them to work. And so they ran tests and made prescriptions and helped put glasses on people to help those people see more clearly. You know, the first thing those people got to read was John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will live forever in Jesus. What a beautiful thing. And not many of us will ever have the privilege to help a blind person see. Maybe we'll help somebody whose eyesight is diminished see more clearly. But all of us can help spiritually blind people see God more clearly. We can help them see God through the way we love, through the way we live, through our compassion, through our conviction that it's not afraid of being called into question. Listen, if it's true, if what we believe is true, it'll stand up to the arguments. We don't have to worry about that. So we can stay curious and we can keep investigating and we can keep learning and we can stay humble. 
And that same thing is true for those of you who are resistant, reluctant to the faith. You know, maybe some of you have walked away from God, but my hunch is the God you walked away from is not the God who is. I think you probably walked away from some version of God. You know, maybe it's true that God is bigger than who you thought he was. Maybe he's bigger than who you were taught he was. Maybe we need to take another look at some of our traditions. Maybe we need to take a look at some of the things we've always held true that might not actually be in here. Every time I come to the Bible, I see something new. I see something marvelous. I see something compelling. Every time I am challenged, I'm comforted. Every time, God just keeps getting bigger. I keep seeing more and more and more, and I keep seeing how big God is. And every time I realize, I've thought he was way too small. And friend, for all I've seen, man, I just, listen, you need to look in here. You just, you just got to see this. You just got to see this. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are not a God in hiding, but you are the God who has revealed yourself in creation and in your word. You've revealed yourself in our lives. You have drawn us to yourself. God, you've revealed yourself throughout history and never more clearly than in the God-man Jesus. God, we confess for those of us who follow you that we may have built some tradition that gets in the way for us and for others of seeing you clearly. So God, would you help us to to expose the blind spots, to see more clearly who you are. May we see you for you. And God, for those who are far from you, I pray that they would that they would have the willingness, the courage, the curiosity to look again and to see you. God, would you reveal yourself to them in all of your love and all of your compassion and all of your glory. God, would you reveal yourself in a new, fresh way to any who are reluctant or resistant to you. God, may we see you, not only the God of the cross, but the God of the resurrection the God of creation and the God of glory. May we see you clearly. And Lord, in just a moment as we stand and we sing, may this song inspire us to see you more clearly and to sing your praise more boldly, more passionately, more affectionately. And God, may you smile as you see your children praise your name. But we love you and we thank you that you love us as you do. And we pray all this In the name of our resurrected Savior, Jesus, amen.